Welcome to Bible study. It's very good to be with you again today. My name is Nick Krita and I'm your host. Today it's a very important Bible study and like before, I would like to encourage you to grab your Bibles and open it in uh, the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. Today we are going to talk about one of the most amazing passages in the scripture about the three angel message. With that being said, I'd just like to introduce briefly our panel for today. We're missing a couple of people today, but uh, it's very good to have you back with us, Len. It's good to be here, and hello, listeners. Ken, thank you for being part of this panel for the last uh, few occasions. Always a pleasure to be here, Nick. And Brenton, again, uh, uh, many thanks for um, working hard. I know even around the clock sometime to put together... Uh, this uh, Bible study for today and welcome to the program and I will just hand the microphone right to you now. Thank you uh, Nick and to our listeners welcome. Welcome to the study of God's Word and today we're going to deal with a subject which for many people is known as the three angels messages or the everlasting gospel. However before we get on to that subject which for those of you who will have your Bibles with you or you will have your iPads or your iPods or your apps we will be looking at Revelation 14 verses 6 to 12 primarily in our study this morning. However before that we do that I just want to touch on what we discussed in our study time last week. Can someone enlighten me a little bit uh, Ken what did we talk about last week? Basically, the uh, 13 was the story of what's happening in the end time in uh, Revelation 13 and uh, just warning people what's coming and who's going to control what and which countries involved. Mm. Len, what was the key issue in last week's section, particularly the second part? There was a word that started with W. It's all about worship. Mm. And uh, Revelation 13 tells about the institution, I suppose you could say, that demands worship mm -hmm. of human beings and its various instrumentalities and it's pictured in the Bible as a great red dragon which represents Satan, a beast that comes out of the sea, which many, many Bible expositors say refers to the papacy, the Roman Catholic Church, then it talks about a beast that comes out of the earth, which again, many expositors say, refers to the United States of America, which is, and perhaps we should say will be, the political arm that enforces the worship of the papacy. And then breaking that down within the United States of America is the image to the beast, which is understood as apostate Protestantism. What's interesting about this as we uh, launch into this study today is that Revelation 14 is God's answer to the demands of the beast power, particularly the second power, where you have the issue of God, you have the issue of images, you have the issue of blasphemy, and you have the issue of worship. All of those things that the beast demands, so the two beasts, the combination, as you said, Len, we look at God's response in Revelation 14 and his call not just his response but his call to people to make a choice to make a decision Absolutely, yes. and I would like, uh, just before we go f any further um, in this discussion, because as I said, it's a very interesting study uh, let's worship God also 
in prayer. Let's ask God to reveal to us and to make us understand and open our minds to really grasp uh, uh, the message for uh, this uh, Bible study. Len, would you be able to just uh, lead us in prayer? Yes. Father in heaven, as we open your holy word today, there are many things which are not well understood Mm. by many people. We pray that you'll give us clear minds, help us to explain the things that are in your word, and to be led by the Holy Spirit. And Lord, above all that, we pray that the listeners will also be led by the Holy Spirit to understand that you have a message for them and for the rest of the world. We invite your presence today. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Let's look just very briefly, um, gentlemen, at Revelation 14, verses 1 to 5, before we uh, look at the primary section there, because I feel that it would be remiss of us to not at least touch on this particular section before we uh, look at Revelation 14, verse 6 to 12. As you look through these verses, it mentions a certain group of people. Can someone tell me who they are? These are the people... Brenton that uh, have been saved by the Lord have got the uh, the seal of the Lord upon them okay can I take that one step further thank you Ken Len what do you believe the seal represents those who are sealed by God are his people Mm -hmm. they are his faithful people it tells us who these people are in Revelation chapter 14 and verse 12 it says uh, these are those who keep the commandments of God and are faithful to Jesus. Mm -hmm. So these people, the 144,000 mentioned in Revelation chapter 7 and Revelation Mm -hmm. 14, Mm -hmm. refers to God's people who do his will and also understand and apply the merits of Jesus Christ for their salvation. Yes. Even in other terms, you know, when we look at uh, what a seal represents in a everyday life, you know, because we come across with legal documents, we come across with things, and it's very important that once you have a seal, that's authoritative, if you like. We, as Len just you pointed out, we belong to God, and God will put his seal on the foreheads of his people. How? And in, you mentioned about uh, um, keeping the commandments of God. And interesting enough that in the fourth commandment, describe who God is. God is the creator and the sustainer of all things. And God is the redeemer of each one of us. Mm-hmm. Because we messed it up. We walked away from God. We sinned. But mm-hmm. God redeemed us. And by keeping his commandments... God is sealing us and saying, yes, these are my beloved people. Good point. As we go backwards, though, just a a little bit in that, it talks about having their father's name on their foreheads. Now, in Scripture, what does a name represent, Len? Well, the name represents the person or the person's character. Yes. And to have the father's name, and we'll talk about this a little further today... It simply means they take on the character and honour God for what he is and want to be like him. Ken, did you have any comment on that? 
it's, yes, thinking about what has been said, and I think a couple of points come up. Uh, for our listeners who perhaps haven't been following this uh, book of Revelation that we're studying, the seal, of course, it says the seal in your forehead. It's not a physical thing, it's a mental thing. It's how we think and how we react. And as Leon has just said, it is the character of God. Now, I'd just like to point out that doesn't mean that Christians are perfect. It just means we are trying our very best to do what God uh, wants us to do. And we have his, uh, we have the desire in our heart to please him. Okay, Nick, did you have any comment uh, on that? I was just thinking, just to follow up on what Ken was saying, you know, because for sure, even uh, when we look at ourselves, we cannot see anything good in us, unless we're looking from a, a real, from a you know very selfish point of view, you know. But otherwise, we can see how weak we are in many things. Mm-hmm. But important is that when we accept God in our life and His guidance, then we'll consider what He is teaching us. We'll not try to change things around to suit our own agenda. We are obedient to God. And I think this is the main uh, point, to be obedient to God, to listen, to know His Word and to follow up. Because even as Ken, you just mentioned, and it's so true, we can't do many things on our own, but we, we need to try hard. And we try sometimes hard and still stuff that up, you know. Uh, we need to, to allow God to work in our life the change of mm. heart. Len, you had a comment that you yes. wanted to make. Mm-hmm. In those first few verses of Revelation chapter 14 and verse 1, it talks about these people who had his name, the name of Christ, and his father's name written on their foreheads. It makes me think of people who work for a, a business and mm-hmm. might have a an emblem Yes. embroidered on mm-hmm. their clothing yes. or it makes me think of a policeman who has a uniform um, it identifies them but here it talks about these people having Christ's name and the Father's name written on their foreheads in other words they are if you like ambassadors or representatives of mm. the Lord mm. Thank you, Len. Thank you all. Um, Let's go down to verse 3 and let's read that together. They sang, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders, and no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. What does this suggest to you? The fact that this is a new song suggests what? It's an experience yes. which God's people have. Is it a unique experience? Absolutely, now? it is mm. unique. And I, mm. I like to just uh, take a, just a couple of moments uh, to explain something here, because we're talking about 144,000, and so many people can be trapped in this as, as look at it as a real number. But what's important is that when we look at the 12,000 which was the highest number in Israel, you know, which Israel considered. And you look at the 12 tribes, you know, you look even at 12 disciples, or you look at 12 tribes, which include everyone, which means these people are those people who uh, experience God's intervention in their life, as I said earlier, through the redemptions of Jesus Christ. And that's why we can look further into the links towards the 144,000. 
Nick, that suggests that in verse 4. Len, would you like to read verse 4 and 5? Sure. These are those who did not defile themselves with women, for they kept themselves pure. They follow the Lamb wherever he goes. They were purchased from among men and offered as firstfruits to God and the Lamb. No lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. Before you comment here, Brenton, I would like to say this. These people, they have no hypocrisy. They haven't meddled with other mysterious false beliefs. They walk the walk. They talk the talk. And I hope I'm one of them. Thank you, Len. I appreciate your comment. Anyone else have a comment on that particular thing? Because this comment, they are without guile, is particularly significant because when you look at Revelation 20 and Revelation 22, which we haven't got time to do, you will find very clearly that one group of people is specifically mentioned amongst others who will not be in the kingdom of heaven, those who practice falsehood or tell lies. Now, where did all this problem begin in the first place? It began with falsehood and <coughs> lies in heaven. So these people, they are without guile. Some versions say without guile. Other versions say without deceit. They are people who have been through an experience. The experience, I believe, that they have been through is the experiences we've talked about of the last days. They have been through that experience, and their reward is not just being with Jesus in heaven, it's to follow the Lamb wherever he goes, which I think is the greatest privilege that a human being could ever be given. I was just thinking, because the next thing in, in verse um, uh, 4, I mean, it says that they, uh, they were not defiled with women. Mm -hmm. And we are talking about here about women quite a few times in this uh, study, what a woman represents in Bible. And what, what sort of explanation we have right now that they didn't defile themselves with a woman well woman refers to a, a religious slash philosophical group uh, we probably to put it in the simplest terms we would say it's a church or a belief system a pure woman is a pure church a corrupt woman is a church that is riddled with error tradition and stuff that is non-biblical. And we'll come uh, to, to see some of the examples in, uh, in our mm. study today mm. about that thing. What is the characteristic here? The characteristic is that they have been faithful to the Lord and his message despite what everybody else might be doing. Yes. Now all of a sudden the scene changes. <laughs> this is where it becomes interesting because in verse 6 Ken, can you read verse 6 for us please? Sure. Um, reading out of the King James Version. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. Can you see, listeners, the jump from where we were before, where we were describing a group of people who are in heaven? Now the scene has shifted backwards, as it were, to a special message that go is given by three angels to the world. Um, but the words, then I saw, are significant. This suggests almost another vision, doesn't it? Or another part of the vision that is, is taking place here. What's so everlasting about the gospel? Well, of course, the gospel, as we know, uh, as God has told in his word, the gospel was there from the beginning of time and will be here until forever. 
Uh, it doesn't change, it doesn't alter, God hasn't altered it. And uh, as the word said, it is everlasting because it's our uh, duty as Christians to preach to them that dwell on the earth. Mm. Len, you had a comment. Well, I agree with what Ken said. The, the gospel doesn't change. Peter, speaking at Pentecost to the assembled group, he said, there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. So since that time, there has been no other alternative saviour. The gospel is the good news that Jesus came to save sinful mankind if we accept the conditions of his substitutionary death in place of ours. Thank you, Len. You took the, the text that I was going to use later straight out of my mouth. <laughs> but that's okay. But that, just to add a little bit there, even mm. though circumstances may change over the history, gospel never will change. No. Mm. And that's very important because we are witnessing today when people will tell you a lot of things that, you know, the gospel back 2,000 years ago, or even some people suggested to me even 100 years ago, was different than now. I will uh, totally disagree with that. I will say, yes, some circumstances changed, and we need to be, uh, like Paul said uh, in, in the Bible, that he was, you know, trying to, to be relevant to every aspect of life, and thing, you know, he said, you know, with the weak I was weak, with the strong strong, with the, with the Greek, you know, I follow like as I should with the Greek and with the Jew, you know, circumstances can change and keep in mind this, but gospel will never change. Mm-hmm. And to be able to know which is the true gospel, we have only one thing to go back to the Bible. Mm-hmm. So this raises yeah. a question then, mm. to whom is this message, the first angel's message, relevant? Is it relevant to the people who lived, say, 2,000 years ago, 1,000 years ago? Is it relevant for the people of today? Or is it a message that still applies to some future time? That's a good question. What is your thoughts on it, Lee? Mm -hmm. I think it's very relevant to today Mm -hmm. because I think these prophecies that we're studying is about end times. And so it's particularly relevant today. And as we go through, I think I can demonstrate why it's more relevant to people today than it was to our great-grandparents, for example. I want you to think uh, for a moment when, in terms of this term everlasting gospel of a text that we all know found in Genesis 3.15, which says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. It shall bruise your head. The seed will bruise the serpent's head and the serpent would bruise the woman's heel. Mm. That is considered by many Bible commentators to be the very first prophecy in the Bible and it foretold what the outcome of this would be. If you crush a serpent's head, it is dead. (laughs) It is given a mortal wound. Whereas simply striking your heel will cause you some pain and discomfort, but it is not mortal. So the everlasting gospel is a gospel that tells us that even though it seems on the surface as though the powers of evil are winning, in actual fact the victory over the devil has been won on the cross. And Len, you're right, 
as we come more and more towards Christ's soon return, it becomes more and more relevant, doesn't it? Yes, Nick. Uh, again, from uh, the first angel message, first of all, angel in the Bible represents also a messenger. Yes. Which each one of us, we are called to be messengers of God for the time we live in. And Len was just pointing out that it is a gospel relevant for the time we live in. And we are called to be part of that. How amazing is that? To work together with, you know, to do God's will and to preach that everlasting gospel as pure as it is in the mm-hmm. Bible to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. And here is another link with the 144,000, which includes everyone. It's not just a, to preach this gospel to a, a very selective group if you like it's worldwide gospel is to be preached to everyone Mm. on this earth Mm. and we have the responsibility today those people who consider themselves the children of god that's a great responsibility to preach the everlasting gospel Mm. Mm. len you had a comment and then this this end time message is universal it is all inclusive Mm. and it is non-exclusive as Nick said, for everybody in the face of the earth. It applies to everybody. So whether you belong to some group or another or if there are distinctions, no, it applies to everybody. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. Ken, you had a comment. I I just wanted to add something here because um, when we're doing the study of this book of Revelation, we are always talking about the return of Jesus and the soon return of Jesus. And I'm sure perhaps some of our listeners will perhaps be saying to themselves, look, we've heard this Jesus coming back many, many times over the years and so on and so forth. But at this particular moment in time, the signs and the prophecies are all coming to date. And this is why it's so important to understand these prophecies and see exactly where we are in time. And things are happening very fast in the world. And it's clearly it's clearly showing Christians that the return of the Lord is not that far away. Mm. Thank you. Uh, can we keep going with verse 7? Nick, can you read verse 7 for us, please? Sure, and this is very important because it's, it's telling us, it's, it's, it's telling us mm. uh, what's all about these mm. uh, messages. And yes. these uh, messengers, these angels, first angel actually saying with a loud voice. Before you go on, what's significant about the fact that it's a loud voice? All right, uh, it's, Im- it's important everyone should pay attention and it's with a loud voice that God, in, it's intentional that everyone should hear it. Mm-hmm. But I'll continue now with, um, uh, with the passage, and this is what says next. Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of, of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water, almost a direct quotation from uh, um, the fourth commandment, Mm. uh, which will come and um, look at it a bit more as we go. Mm. Thank you, Nick. That's very true. What is the first thing that uh, the angel actually says? He says, fear God. Now, our understanding, Len, of fear, what do we usually think of when we say you should fear the the, uh, chief justice or you should fear the judge? What do we usually think in terms of? <laughs> well, usually it means to be afraid of, but it, 
Can it mean other things? Yes, it does. Of course, many words have different meanings and it depends on their context which meaning applies. In this case, it means give respect to. Give respect to God. Now, I think this is very relevant. Now, I might be just sneaking ahead here a bit, Brenton. No, if I okay, am, Len. It's please fine. excuse me. No, no, I said earlier, good. I think I can show why this message is so relevant in these late, latter times. You know, there have been many attempts to elbow God out of the picture. Uh, we've seen attempts made by the beast power, the sea beast power, to assume the, the role of God. But I see other things. I see the teaching of evolution, in Western countries at least, as putting God out of the picture. I think Satan would love to have people have no knowledge of God whatsoever. The teaching of evolution teaches there is no God. Things mm. just happen on their mm. own. Yes. Also, I think there is another perhaps less well-defined thing, the interest in sport and entertainment, which is also ousting God out of the picture. Now, I think I can give some proof of this. My wife really likes to watch this program called The Millionaire Hot Seat, an educational program, at least mm. in part. Mm. When there is a religious question, there are not many religious questions these days, but there used to be, when there's a religious questions, most people sit there looking totally stunned. No they haven't any idea. And I believe this the the culture of today is eliminating God or attempting to eliminate God. That's why this message is so relevant in these times. Mm. Thank you. Um, Nick, I just want to come back uh, again to that uh, fear God. Because uh, a lot of people misunderstood that and they will say, oh, you know, that's a God, it's a tyrant God. God will do all sorts of things. Or God doesn't do what's supposed, needs to be done, you know, get rid of it of the enemy, for example, Satan and so on. But I would like to just illustrate that very simply with uh, our daily life. Because here God is trying to tell us, you know, we are his children and he is doing everything what he needs to do to get us back home with him. Now a parent and a child, that relationship in between a parent and a child or a child and a parent is very important when the child is fearful. What that means? That means that he trusts in his father with everything. And we live in a time when the generation of these days, they are fearless of their parents. Mm. They think that they know more than their parents and they can do better than their parents guide them to do. Well, I used to do that too. Yeah, well, <laughs> probably all of us guilty of that. Mm. But what I'm trying to say, now probably more than any other times, when we see that big gap is going just bigger and bigger. And I will just say this, a child, he doesn't know many things, you know, when he's little, but he really trusts his parent. Is that a sort of respect, as you, learned, you said, or fear? Even mm. though a child may not understand what respect is necessarily, mm. but he depends on his parent, and mm. that's what we should uh, consider to depend to our father. Len, I think you uh, had a further yes, comment I'd on that. Yes, I'd just like to say I and don't want to delay this, but I think it's relevant. No, no, it's very, very important. Um, 
If people regard God as a tyrant, you'd need to ask those who love God, those who are previously described as that great company of people, the saints or the 144,000, how they regard God. And if they regard God as a tyrant, why would they want to follow the Lamb wherever he goes? And why would they want to even be in heaven? Exactly. So this concept of God being a tyrant Mm. is certainly, um, well, it seems to me it's a a concept put out by the enemy. Mm. Thank you. Yes, uh, Brent, I just wanted to add a little thing to this, and that is the fact that God loves every man, woman, and child on the face of the earth. There's no one he doesn't love, even though many people do the wrong thing. However, God does not love the sins that the people commit, and he's doing his utmost to try and save every man, woman, and child on the face of this earth. However, time is running out, and there's a judgment coming, and uh, God is just, just a second. yeah sorry Brent I may be jumping the gun a bit no, here no, no, there is a judgment no. coming and God will uh, require of us all the things we've done in this life thank you uh, I just want to share with uh, with us all here uh, the Greek word the Greek word is phobo p-h-o-b-o phobo now what modern word can we think of that's similar to that Phobia. Mm-hmm. Um, phobo means this, amongst about five definitions that I'm just sharing with you. To reverence, that's one. To treat with deference or reverential obedience. But it can also mean to put to flight, to be struck with terror. So it can mean both of those things. Now, what we need to be aware of is that the, the reason this angel is giving this message is that if we think of God's end time, plan god's end time plan we all know is that as many people be saved as possible that is god's plan however for those who choose not to be the other side of the greek word phobo certainly applies it is certainly something to be fearful of because we'll come to that in next week's study Uh, so i won't say any more about that but we are told to fear god because of what what has come according to this well, at the time of judgment. Mm. Um, when you talk about judgment, Len, what do you think of? Well, I think of two things. Judgment consists of uh, the investigation, the finding out whether somebody is guilty or innocent. That's part of judgment. And then you have the other part of the judgment, which is probably better known as the executive Phase. part of judgment, mm. where the, the sentence is carried out. The first part is deciding the guilt or innocence and then you have the sentencing and the carrying out of the sentencing. Mm. Thank you. Nick? Just on uh, elaborating a little bit more on this uh, worshipping God who made the heavens and earth and uh, the springs of water refers to how can we worship God and where in the Bible we have a clear understanding about how to worship God. Do you think of a passage in the Bible or uh, I, I mean, can think of many. Yes, <laughs> but particularly I think you're probably referring to Exodus chapter 20. What that says Len. Remember Sabbath day to keep it holy and worship him who made heaven and earth. And you know what? When we think of the first four commandments in the Bible, 
which all point us to God, how to worship God, how to follow mm-hmm. God. All of those four commandments have been attacked. And this is very important because, for example, the second commandment in some groups, you know, churches, completely removed. The fourth commandment uh, reduced, if you like. Why it's so important? And I'll just like to to just read the passage uh, Certainly. For, um, for you today. The key issue in the final crisis is emphasized in the second exhortation of the first angel message. The call to worship whom who made heaven and earth and the sea and springs of water. Rest and worship on the seventh day, which is Saturday, it's a special sign of our relationship with God. The first angel's message is called to worship the Creator and not to worship anything else, even if it's tradition and whatever mm. uh, people will point us to, to do. We need to take that one step further, I believe. Um, if you're going to worship the, the one who created the heavens and the earth, many Christians today believe in theistic evolution. Mm. Many Christians today do not even believe in the story of creation. In fact, many Christians do not believe that the world was created in six literal days. Um, it's hard to see how you would want to worship a god who maybe allowed the earth to um, take place over a period of six million years or something like that, that to me would not indicate a God who was all-powerful and able to do whatever he likes, but a God who was able to create this world within the time frame that Genesis sets out (laughs) is a God worthy of our worship. He is worthy of our worship because he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. Len, you... I'd just like to pick something up that you said there. You Mm. said many Christians... Um, are theistic evolutionists. Some don't believe in creation at all. You know, I don't see how that those people can claim to be Christians by not believing in creation. Because if they're Christians, they follow Christ. If they follow Christ, they will believe and understand what he taught. Jesus himself believed and taught in creation. And so... I can't see that a person can be a Christian and not to believe in creation. Mm, okay. Ken, did you have a comment? You, I, 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 tend, I, I, I tend to think sometimes, uh, trying to get my head into what the listeners may be thinking, and, and one of the things popped into my head was that uh, they may be asking, well, why should we worship God because he made the earth or the heavens, whatever? But I think sometimes people forget that every single thing in and on the earth, all the beautiful plants, the animals, the seas, the countryside, beautiful fresh air that we generally have in the country, everything was made for mankind to enjoy, and God has gone out of his way to put absolutely everything on the planet for man to enjoy, and we have basically destroyed it. Uh, Nick, before you answer, Ken, can I just press you a little bit further? You said he made everything on this earth for man's enjoyment. Who else did he make to enjoy it? Or who did he make to enjoy it? Uh, he made mankind, of yeah. course. Okay. Absolutely. Nick? I was just going to, to say something about uh, this. Uh, why do we need to worship God? And why it's so important to identify the true worshipping? 
because there is somebody else who demands worship. Yes, we found and it in Revelation and we, Yes, and we know that the enemy, Satan himself, de- demand worship. And there are people who give allegiance to this uh, power, if you like, by what? By doing what he is requiring. And for example, because as we said, to worship God, the true God, we've been given an example, you know, like the fourth commandment mm. to, to worship God. But look at this. While the observance of the false Sabbath in compliance with the law of the state, contrary to the fourth commandment, will be an, a vow of allegiance to a power that is in opposition to God. The keeping of the true Sabbath in obedience to God's law is an evidence of loyalty to the Creator, while on class, by accepting the sign of submission to earthly powers, receive the mark of the beast on their chosen token of allegiance to the divine authority received the seal of God. All right, thank you, Nick. Um, Just summarising the first angel's message, then we can say this. We are invited to give reverential awe, indeed worship, to the one who created everything. And it also states a second point that we have just briefly touched on at this stage because we must move on due to time constraints. The hour of his judgment has come. Now, this is not the hour of God being judged. This is God's judgment upon the earth that is taking place and we could uh, spend probably a whole study on that particular aspect but let it be said this 2 Corinthians 5.10 which we don't have time to turn to today says we must all appear before the judgment seat of God to receive our reward whether it be good or whether it be bad that means every single person on this planet is going to appear before the judgment seat of God now whilst that can be frightening It can also be for those of us who believe in the Lord and have put our faith in him, we have an advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous, who stands on our behalf. Do you find that good news? Good news. I think that's wonderful news. Let's move on to the second (laughs) of the three angels' messages, which is verse 8. Len, would you like to read that one for us, please? The second angel followed and said, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. If we were to unpack that and break it down, first of all, Babylon. Who is Babylon described as being in the Bible? It's quite interesting. I have a a Bible, it's an NIV version, with notes. Yes. Uh, As far as I can understand, there's no particular uh, bias in these notes. Mm -hmm. And it gives uh, several answers to this question but I was very surprised to read here where it says that Babylon is uh, a a word uh, a metaphor for Rome interesting the papal Mm. system really yes also it says there's another um, explanation here that it is Rome coupled with the false philosophical system that the world seems to operate under. Mm. 
Len, that's uh, that's an explosive comment, isn't mm. it? Indeed. But even Nick. to go with back to the roots of this word, even uh, Babylon, it comes also from Babel, which uh, we know that the, the Tower of Babel, God confused the language of people. Now, in other terms, Babylon, it's confusion. Mm-hmm. If we, even if we look into the uh, historical, you know, Babylon, or as you pointed out, Len, to the uh, more spiritual application for Babylon, we identify here a power, if you like, which confuses people. Mm. Thank you, Nick. And I'm going to get uh, Ken to read Revelation 17, verse 4 and 5, which will identify who Babylon actually is. Uh, Starting in verse 4. Yes, and the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet. So a woman, just just stopping you for okay, a minute. Sure. Who, was, who was the woman in uh, Scripture? The woman is the church. Yes, keep going. And so the woman was arrayed <laughs> in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of for her fornication. Wow, <laughs> keep going. And upon her forehead was <laughs> a name written, Mystery. Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. Does that clear up for us who Babylon is? That's amazing it's an description. <clears throat> religious organization. And Len, your description from the NIV is a good one. It not only refers to Rome, but to all those who follow her teachings and philosophies. And let me say this, but let me say it kindly. All churches who claim that they are not with Rome who worship on a false day are in fact giving allegiance to Rome because as we studied in last week's lesson which we actually read a statement that Rome claims the change of worship from Saturday to Sunday as a mark note that, a mark of her authority in ecclesiastical matters and, and, the, and the church is saying openly right now to the daughters if you like because we, we said that uh, mm. that's a mother yes. you know yeah, mother of, right. uh, you know mm. and the mother is calling back the daughters and says come back the rebellious daughters yes okay Lynn you uh, just a up. very quick comment mm, thank you <clears throat> from uh, Revelation chapter 17 verse 5 mm-hmm. where these titles Appear. were uh, yes. displayed mm-hmm. it talks about Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes. <laughs> At some previous study, <coughs> when I've been going through Revelation, I jotted a little note in the side of my Bible. The mother of prostitutes, it says, the source of false worship. Hmm. Len, that I think that encapsulates it pretty well, doesn't it? What is this message actually saying? Because we, in, a, in a later study, when we get to Revelation 18 in a few weeks' time, we will find that this message of the second angel is reinforced by another angel, but we won't spend too much time on that now, other than to say that this angel announces the fact that Babylon has fallen. In other words, it's announcing to the people of the world that be careful, unless you are following the true truth, of the Bible, as Jesus taught it, you are in a false religious system and you are possibly liable because it says you are actually liable to become drunk, that is spiritually drunk, that is unable to discern spiritually whether you were following God or following something else. And of course, Revelation 13 that we read last week 
in summary, very quick. What is the principle that the beast power, the second beast power, uses? It's deception. It deceives the people of the whole world by not only bringing fire down from heaven but performing miracles. In other words, folk, the important issue for us today is this. Are we going to follow the word of God when maybe even the evidence of our senses tells us that a miracle is being performed, but that miracle is not being performed by someone who claims to be following the Lord. Len, you had your hand up again. I I just want to pick up on that word Mm. that you said, that there are many people who appear to be spiritually drunk. Now, what happens when a person is drunk? Let's say they're driving their car along. There might be a sign that says, stop, and they don't cause an accident. I have friends, good people I believe, they don't want to do any harm, but as far as I can see they are spiritually drunk. I've heard them and uh, even read some material given to me by them to say yes, the seventh day Sabbath is the right day, but at the same time they don't keep it. They keep on doing what they've been doing all along. Why? Well, I think it comes back to what you were saying. They're drunk. They know it, but they're not moved by it. It's it's as if there is a a blockage in their mind stopping Mm -hmm. them Mm -hmm. from accepting doing what they should do. Mm. Uh, Quickly, just uh, just on um, because we'll go to the third angel message. But because it says here, you know, the the two bifold here saying it's fallen, it's fallen, Babylon, it's fallen, it's fallen. That means even if we look to the historical Babylon and look to the spiritual Babylon, that they don't have an intention of turning back and coming to God. The destruction is complete. Complete. It's for sure. Mm-hmm. And now, here is the the message of the third angel, which will approach now. What we should do? What mm-hmm. should people do? Seeing mm-hmm. and understanding that these powers, mm-hmm. they don't have any intention of coming back to God Mm. than what we should do Mm. and what people should do. Isn't it sad that what you've got here is a religious system who is actually leading people astray by getting them to drink, shall we say, spiritual wine, which confuses them, when if they had been following the Lord, couldn't this world have been so much a better place had they been true to the teachings of Jesus Christ? But we don't have time to go through the history of the Christian church. But corruption began in the Christian church by as early as AD 100 or even earlier. It was starting to be corrupted. Now we move on to the third angel's message because our time is running out. Again, said with a loud voice. In other words, but this time it has the, shall we say, the most severe warning recorded in all of scripture. Ken, would you like to read for us perhaps from verse 9 down to verse 11? And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image, and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of the torment ascendeth up for ever and ever. And they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image 
and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Thank you, Ken. I can imagine that some of our listeners will be looking at verse 11 particularly interestedly. Uh, We will get to that, but I want to deal with an issue here that's very important. If you compare verse 8 with verse 10, you find two cups, don't you? Mm. The first cup is in chapter 8. What happens in chapter 8? In chapter 8, the false religious system is making them drink a spiritual intoxicating brew, if I can put it that way. In chapter, in verse 10, we find that God's cup is poured out upon them. Now, there is a difference between the two. Len, would you, can you share with us what you see as a difference between these two cups? In drinking of the wine of the, the adulteries or the wine of deception, people have accepted uh, a message which is not from God. By doing that, they've placed themselves with those who will not be saved. Yes, I believe so. Now, they might be even attending church, but they have placed themselves with those who will not be saved. The cup that God pours out, um, you could even see it in the terms of maybe it's like a cup full of petrol. (laughs) (laughs) You know a bit about that. (laughs) it's, It's punishment. The punishment that God gives will be complete. Now, I realize when we come down to verse 11, there's a lot of confusion mm-hmm. about this. Yes, we need to get there and There's somehow. probably a lot of confusion mm-hmm. about verse 10. Mm-hmm. But by swallowing a lie that's presented through Satan and his agencies, mm-hmm. those people will receive the full punishment of God mm-hmm. for their rejection of him. Thank you, Len. Ken, you had an... Yes, I, I just want to add here that we're not saying for a minute that these people that are in these churches are bad or evil. No, we're just saying that the information they have is incorrect. And uh, I think part of the problem there is that they don't read their Bible. And if you don't read the Bible, you really don't know what's going on. And uh, yeah. Basically, uh, I say these are good people. They want to follow the Lord, but the information they've got, they have been deceived. Mm. Uh, Len touched on a good point where he he talked about God's total punishment on them. This term, full strength, can mean several things. It can also mean something else that we really must touch on before we, we conclude our study. The reason the first angel's message and the second angel's message are being given is to save people from the point, which we will study in a few weeks' time when we look at the seven last plagues. Uh, The reason this message is being given is because God wants them to hear the message and be obedient to the message that is given. When God's cup of fury is poured out full strength as it uses the term here. Now, I'm a non-drinker. I'm a teetotaler. (laughs) I don't know what full-strength beer is or full-strength wine is, but I know from talking to people that if you take some of that, Ken, it really uh, knocks you around. What it's suggesting here, spiritually, is that full-strength is that God's wrath is poured out upon impenitent people without any mercy mixed with it. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Mm. Nick, you've I, got your hand I up. just want to point out to verse 11 because I think it's very important. Mm, and the certainly. smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day and night who worship the beast and his 
image. You see, very intentional. They carry on with the plan. They don't have rest day and night. And not that only to worship the beast, but also the image. What's this reflecting, the image? We talked about here the, um, the role of uh, the Protestant America, which is giving allegiance to the beast right now. And we know, we, we just need to Google that to see how many people, how many churches are signing already that there is no protest anymore. Which means those daughters who rebelled, if you like, they're all coming back. They're all coming back to the mother church. And it's very important here to identify that they are going to worship the beast and the image rather than God. Mm. And yet they're deceived in so doing because many of them will genuinely feel that they are worshipping God. But because they've been deceived, as Len said earlier on, one thing that wine does to you, um, for some people it makes them braver. They become more um, in your face, so to speak. For other people they sort of go and sit in a corner and, and sleep. Uh, but really what wine does is it confuses your ability to determine not only traffic lights but a lot of other things as well. And if you have been drinking of the wine of spiritual fornication, you are in a confused state and the devil is able to bring in any and all of his deceptions, which you will accept without reason. This is why we have the word of God. This is why God says, I want you to follow what I've written in here completely. Our time is nearly over. We need to... Um, just touch briefly on the term forever and ever. In Isaiah 34, verses 8 to 10, which we don't have time to look up, it talks about God's judgment being poured out on Edom, and it uses the term that it would be destroyed and the smoke would ascend forever and ever. Now, let me assure you of one thing. I was in Edom only about four weeks ago, five weeks ago, and I can assure you the smoke is not still ascending. What this term means is that the results, the punishment that is meted out is final. It'll never happen again. Edom is not still smoking. Mm. But the punishment was permanent. The results were total, and it was total annihilation. Len, did you have a brief comment that well, you wanted to make? I wanted to add another mm, um, sure. supporting text to that, talking about Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah mm -hmm. in the book of Jude, which just appears before Revelation. And it talks about Sodom and Gomorrah burning forever. Yes. And then it says, this is an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. It does. Sodom and Gomorrah is not burning anymore. I went past the alleged site only a few yeah. weeks ago. It seemed okay. pretty peaceful to me. Okay. <laughs> so it doesn't mean that... Um, there's another little aspect here I'd, I'd love to bring this in Sure. it talks about in verse 10 in the presence of the holy angels and of the lamb now yes. some people have got this picture of hell where the uh, wicked people are being tortured but it says in the presence of the holy angels and the lamb it does if I was Christ I would get no pleasure from that None whatsoever. Does God actually speak about that? Doesn't he say in Ezekiel, yes. surely as I live, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. That's right. But right. they turn so from their sins. This is another study mm -hmm. in itself, but simply yes. to say, as far as I'm concerned and as far as I understand the Bible, there is no eternal burning hell. hell. No. Mm. And that's another subject to, to talk about because, yeah, 
uh, time is uh, limited for this program and we are reaching the end of it. Uh, probably just a very brief, uh, mm. brief uh, conclusion. I think we'll read verse 12, which is in our study. Here is the patience of the saints. Patience suggests one thing to me, gentlemen, endurance, staying the course. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. What was the faith of Jesus? The faith of Jesus was he relied totally on his Father for everything. And I think if we had a take-home message, Len, what would it be? What would you like to share with our listeners? The take-home message, as far as I'm concerned, is this. Here is a call to worship the true God. Here is a warning for those who don't. Mm. And I want to be on God's side. Mm, Amen. Ken, what about you? Just briefly in a few words. Uh, Well, obviously this uh, is a a very, very serious message. And it's just really clarifying that we need to worship, as Lance just said, the true God in the true way. I'm not saying for a moment that the people in the churches aren't worshipping God, but they certainly are being deceived and they need to read the word of God themselves. Mm. Nick, what would you say to our listeners as a final comment in regard to our Bible study? As you pointed out in verse uh, 12, saying that uh, here the patience of the saints who keep the commandments of God and the testimony of Jesus, is some other translations. Mm. If you look in uh, uh, Revelation chapter 19, verse, and I, 10. verse 10, which says that the uh, testimony of Jesus is? The spirit of prophecy. Is the spirit of prophecy. And we are studying a prophetic book, Revelation, and it's very important to know about the application of the prophecy. And to the, God is blessing us with a gift of prophecy, mm. and he's promising us that he will reveal to us his secrets. And if I was to leave a final word with our listeners for today, it would be this. If during this period of studies that we have been doing together with you, that you have felt God's Spirit calling you, don't resist. Continue to search. Continue to pray. Continue to ask the Holy Spirit to guide you. He has promised he will guide us into all truth. Let's pray. Father, we recognise our need of you. Today we have read the last warning message that our dear Saviour, Jesus Christ, is giving to this world through the medium of three angels, the first angel, second angel and third angel. In these messages are contained a command to worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of waters, that the hour of his judgment has come, the downfall of the false religious system known as Babylon is announced, and the third angel's message is even more definite, that those who choose and continue to choose to be led astray by this false religious system will drink the wine of the wrath of God. Lord, I know and we know that you are a God of love, but you are also a God of justice. And the day is coming very soon where God will stand up and where he will pour out his judgments upon this earth. I pray for our listeners, Lord, that each one will have the experience mentioned in Psalms where it says the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. May that be the experience of not only ourselves as a panel, but of each of our listeners today. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.